Hello, thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. I'm here today with Jennifer LeBay, Curriculum Development Specialist with APACN. Jennifer joins us to discuss some of the ICD-10-CM changes coming this October 1st. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Amy. Let's dive right in. ICD-10-CM codes have been updated twice a year since 2021, with the major update occurring in October of each year. What changes can nursing facility staff expect to see this October? Well, that's a great question. So we've got some updates that were posted to the CMS ICD-10 website. Although the CMS website doesn't have the updated guidance and conversion tables, these are available on the CDC webpage that is linked in the description of this podcast. And there were some significant changes that we would need to be aware of on the nursing facility level. So looking at the alphabetical index, every year they make significant changes to sometimes codes, sometimes revision of codes, sometimes additional language in the alphabetical index. Just to give an overview, the alphabetical index has a lot more information describing different conditions and codes than the tabular list does. So this is why you always have to start with that alphabetical index, which leads you to a default code and then to the tabular list to confirm because there's a lot more descriptive items. So this year is no different than other years where more descriptive items and additional language was added to the alphabetical index to lead us to codes in the tabular list that were not there in previous years. So for example, we've got some new descriptive language under arteriosclerosis in the alphabetical index, as well as some additional language under at risk. So when you look up at risk, they're really focusing on social determinants of health, not just in our MDS, but also in the diagnosis coding. So they added some new language to include at risk for feeling loneliness under the code Z65.8, other specified problems related to psychosocial circumstances. So when you look in the tabular list, it's not going to say at risk for loneliness under that code, but the additional instruction has added that at risk for feeling loneliness into that category. There also have been some new codes added that we may want to be mindful of. There were some revisions under asthma and bronchitis related to COPD. So an unspecified chronic obstructive pulmonary disease diagnosis code is not going to change. It is still going to be J44.9. However, there was an additional code added for other specified COPD codes and that's going to be a J44.89. So there's a lot of reference for other types of specified COPD that are going to have this new code instead of the J44.9, which would be an unspecified code. So this is looking at an obstructive bronchitis or an obstructive asthma, so we know the cause of that obstruction. 
In addition, we see some add-ons to carrier status. So this includes several additions, including a carrier for E. coli or a carrier for ESBL, among other infectious items that people could be carriers of. And that's going to be under the Z22.3 category. And obviously, when we're looking at these, we'll have to look at the full alphabetical index and tabular list to make sure that we have the right codes. Some additional information was added under coagulopathy, which will include COVID-associated coagulopathy, which will be coded under the D65 disseminated intravascular coagulation code. So again, that's just a clarification, not a new code. There were some new codes added under coma for non-traumatic and secondary, and that's now a code of R40.2A. That is a new code added. We also see some clarifications under complications. Some additional language was added in the alphabetical index about epidural and subdural infusion complications and joint displacement. Again, these aren't new codes, but just additional language to guide the user to a more specific code in the alphabetical index. Similarly, there was additional language added under dermatitis to help folks find dermatitis related to feces, urine, and wound exudate. The codes aren't new, but it will help guide that user to be more specific in finding those codes. There was also a new code added under epilepsy for Lafora epilepsy, which is G40.C. So that is a new addition. There was a change in codes for grief prolonged, which is changing from F43.29 to F43.81. That is of note because that is a diagnosis that was noted in the proposed SNF PPS rule, which we're expecting a final in August to see if that is going to be an issue. They had mentioned that they are going to make that be a return to provider code. So in addition to it being a different code altogether, they are going to be changing that under the PDPM program. There were some new codes added under migraine a G43.E is a new code. And then the big one that I think is going to impact the facilities the most is the new codes for Parkinson's. So Parkinson disease, paralysis, agitans, Parkinsonism are going to have new codes. We've got some more specific criteria. So it's no longer going to be just that G20 code. We now are going to have a G20.A through a G20.C code. So it's going to be important to note any of your folks with Parkinson's disease, those codes are going to need to be updated. And those codes were also reflected in other areas of the alphabetical index that Parkinson's is mentioned, such as with dementia. Paroxysmal atrial tachycardia has a new code. It previously is I-47.1, that's going to change to I-47.19 and will be included in the other supraventricular tachycardia. There were some revisions under schizophrenia for undifferentiated type. However, the unspecified type is still going to be listed as F20.9. And we know that schizophrenia is a hot diagnosis topic of late. 
there are some foreign body codes added under the sensation. So the sensation of a foreign body in the eye, nose, throat, or specified site, we now have ICD-10 codes that address those issues. And we have some further clarification under sepsis, adding some new language for causative organisms, including MRSA and Pseudomonas. But again, these are not new codes, just additional information to guide the user. As well as under therapy for long-term drug therapy, there's now added language for oral anti-diabetic and oral hypoglycemic. Neither of these are new codes, but again, just that clarification. Wow, that's a lot of changes, Jen. How will these changes impact the assignment of codes at the facility level? Well, the revised codes will need to be updated using the conversion table. This conversion table is an Excel spreadsheet that has updated codes back to 2016. You'll want to look for the codes that are updated as of 2023. Some of the codes will have an April 1st, 2023 start date, and those are listed separately. Although these codes are for fiscal year 2024, the codes themselves are changing in 2023. So using the sort function of the Excel spreadsheet, you can search for those codes that are effective October 1st, 2023, and those will be just listed as 2023. When you sort them, all the codes are together, and then you can use them to search them in your electronic health record to make those adjustments. So that will be a valuable tool to use when looking at your codes. The electronic software that you use a lot of times will allow you to do a search for certain codes and that will help you to drill down to change those because those codes will have to be updated. So specifically those Parkinson's codes, which are the big change, those are going to need to be updated effective October 1st. And we can't just change the code or delete the code. There is a process that involves. So these codes that are currently in place for Parkinson's are going to be good until September 30th of 2023. Then effective October 1st of 2023, we'll need a new code. So we'll need to resolve the outdated code with a resolution date of September 30th, and then add the new code with a start date of October 1st. And that's going to be important to do that process correctly, because if you just delete a code and add something new, it's going to make the medical record prior to the effective date of that new code inaccurate. So anywhere that code was listed, say on the MDS or on a claim or in the medical record, it's now not going to be there. So you need to make sure that you're using the correct process. We're also going to need to make sure that we're reviewing the guidelines. Changes are reflected in the guidance under bold or italicized changes, and that's going to be listed right at the beginning of that coding guidance. Fortunately, not many updates to the guidelines are present in this year's update. There are some clarifications, some grammatical updates. Some notable updates include under sepsis, there's some added language about sepsis due to a post-procedure infection, and that mentions the post-procedural wound or surgical site infection. That can be found on page 24. On page 29 of the updated guidelines, 
Now that the COVID public health emergency is over, there are new updated guidelines for screening for COVID-19 when assigning code Z11.52. Some new guidance was added on page 54 related to myocardial infarction with coronary microvascular dysfunction. Additional language about the coma scale was added on page 74 of the updated guidelines related to the new R40.20A non-traumatic coma due to underlying condition code. A new code was added in the instruction discussing underdosing on page 83 in reference to code Z91.A4. Page 95 of the updated guidance added a new Z code of Z91.85, personal history of military service. Page 99 addressed more Z codes related to encounter for follow-up exam after completion for treatment of malignant neoplasm and encounter for follow-up for examination after completion of treatment for condition other than malignant neoplasm. Neither of these are going to be seen regularly in the long-term care setting. Also in this section, Z91.A, caregiver non-compliance with patient's medical treatment and regimen will be listed on page 103 of the updated guidance. So it's also very important to be mindful of these changes when it's coming to billing as well. So if you don't have an integrated system with your electronic health record and your billing, just make sure that you're checking those codes in the billing system as well. Thank you for that information. What must facility coders do to prepare for these changes? Well, we need to make sure that we're aware of what the changes are, and that means we need to get new manuals. So every October 1st, the codes change. And as I, you, know, you mentioned previously, they've been changing twice a year since 2021 with all the updates to COVID and, and all of those other items. So we need to make sure that you have an updated manual. And there's so many changes, so many revisions, and so much additional language added to the alphabetical index. Codes are different. Guidance might be a little different. So that really needs to be updated every year. The codes will need to be reviewed and revised. As I mentioned, replace any of those ones that are now outdated. But every year there may be more codes added that provide more specificity. So some of the codes that I mentioned that have revisions are increasing the specificity with new codes. So this may mean some codes that were previously listed as not elsewhere classified are now going to have a more specific code. So it's a good idea to review those not elsewhere classified codes on an annual basis to make sure there were not any additions to the ICD-10 coding manual that could impact that code. It is recommended for those not elsewhere classified codes to add a note somewhere in the medical record. A lot of times electronic health records do have a note section right next to the diagnosis code itself, which would allow you to add what that more specific diagnosis is. So just as a reminder, not elsewhere classified is going to be a diagnosis that has a more specific diagnosis documented by the physician or physician extender in the medical record, but there is not a more specific diagnosis in the ICD-10 coding manual. Thank you, Jen. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? 
Absolutely. I know everybody's getting geared up for MDS changes. We also have to focus on the ICD-10 changes as well for October 1st, and that's also going to include the mapping for PDPM. So currently CMS does have on the PDPM webpage the PDPM mapping tool draft for fiscal year 2024, and that link is going to be provided in the podcast description. And you should take a look at that because that's going to show what the mapping is going to be effective October 1st. The proposed SNF PPS rule did propose some changes and there are three tables in this zip file that show what those proposed changes are so you can start to prepare for what things might look like in October. Hopefully we'll get that final rule sometime in August right next to that REI user's manual. So we'll have a busy August. Sounds like October is going to be a busy October of learning new things as well. Absolutely. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and expertise on ICD-10 and the changes that are coming. Thanks for having me, Amy. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse assessment coordinators, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NACCHAT podcast.